0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're talking Dynasty Changing of the Guard on Roto-Viz Radio.
2: What's up, Roto-Viz?
1: Welcome into RotoViz Radio. I'm Dave Cabin alongside Curtis Patrick. We're two of the owners at RotoViz. We are very excited because Curtis has a new computer, uh, which should clear up any technical difficulties we might encounter on his side. Can't guarantee that I hit the drops correctly <laughs> on my side. Uh, another week in the books. We are recording this during Monday Night Football. We are coming uh, to the point where I'm not sure what type of utility listeners get out of us running down the waiver wires. At this point, it's so hard to know who is available out there for different listeners. And a lot of the names are going to be players that we've talked about prior. So what we wanted to do here was kind of take a step back, think about how things have shifted with the information that we now have through six weeks of 2022 and start looking forward to 2023 from a dynasty lens. But before we do that, I must ask Curtis, how is it going?
3: It's going great, man. Um, as we were talking behind the show, uh, I mean, I feel like, you know, I've, I've finally stepped into the future. We, we eked every last bit of, you know, performance um, out of, <laughs> out of the old Mac and uh, man, it is glorious to have a new machine. It's been since 2014 uh, or, or 2015. So everything's lightning fast. You look even more handsome than normal oh, well, thank uh, you. with, with this beautiful six <laughs> K resolution. Um, so it's, yeah, every, everything's going good on this end. And and I'm excited to be talking about um, these shakeups in, in dynasty and really just talk, you know, talking about how things are changing at the top of each position um, because man, this is going to be an undertaking as I was, pulling up our, our rankings and, and, you know, getting ready for a kind of a, you know, first of my couple mid season updates that I like to do each year, it's going to be a real struggle, man. It's going to be a real struggle. So there's probably some 50,000 foot questions that I need to answer for myself and for listeners and subscribers around relative value of -hmm. the top of the rankings and, um, how tiers have changed, um, as there seem to be fewer and fewer elite producers this year Um, and there's just some stuff going on in the league around the number of touchdowns being scored that potentially could just be early season noise that'll level out or you know maybe we're going to be taking a a trip down memory lane to 15 years ago when you know it was was very uh, very non-dispersed in terms of uh, the the riches that there were to go around so this is going to be an interesting episode to get into and I'm excited to get your thoughts on uh, who my top two or three guys are at each each position, so we can at least maybe find some alignment there so we can make some dynasty trades on our co-managed squads.
1: Seriously, because we were actually struggling to come up with, in some cases, who the <laughs> third player is, which yeah, is geez. very foreign territory so, for us. And it's not yeah, that we were struggling, yeah. you know, out of a number of choices. It was literally trying to make a case for somebody to get into that spot. Yeah. So we will talk about that in a moment. But before we do, Curtis... We need to give out the player and snoozer of the week. We'll start on a high note here with the player of the week. And after a little bit of consideration, we have given this to Dion Jackson of the Indianapolis Colts, who comes in to fill in for not just Jonathan Taylor, but Naheem Hines, Only puts up 42 yards as a rusher, but does find the end zone, but then goes 10 for 10 for 79 receiving (laughs) yards and gets himself to a 28.1 PPR day, keeping in mind that uh, in games prior, we had not seen Jonathan Taylor put up Jonathan Taylor-like numbers or seen Naheem Hines really put together any monster performances. So this was unexpected and uh, hats off to Deion Jackson.
3: Yeah, man. Hey, you get a chance, you take your swings and see what happens. It's frustrating to see the Colts finally consolidate touches in this way. Um, maybe now that they've seen uh, how effective that can be and that they can eke out a win doing so. Uh, Mr. Taylor can get this type of, um, you know, expected point workload and in, in a week to come, but yeah, I mean, I guess if you're in Indianapolis, the other thing is, is, you know, how dinged up is Jonathan Taylor really? You know, maybe you let him sit for that extra week and, and get just a little bit more healed up now that you know you've got a, a horse behind him. A couple honorable mentions. Um, the Ramondre Stevenson train continues to chug along with 25.1 PPR uh, for him on the strength of two rushing touchdowns. And then, you know, Kenneth Walker, you know, all, all of the uh, buzz has been about Brees Hall, uh, this position from a rookie perspective, but Kenneth Walker getting his first full game of action as the unquestioned starter for Seattle uh, gets 21 carries uh, nearly puts up 100 yards rushing with a, a touchdown. Then he did uh, have a pair of receptions uh, for 13 yards as, uh, as well. So 19 points for him and a top seven RB performance in his first start.
1: Yes. So good stuff there. Unfortunately, we now have to turn our attention to the performances that were not so great. And this is one that I regret giving out as this is a player that we talked a lot about, Curtis, uh, right before the season started. And as a result, this player is on or was on a lot of my lineups. This is another running back. And this is Jeff Wilson of the San Francisco 49ers who strung together seven rushing attempts for just 25 yards, zero touchdowns, saw one target that he failed to convert as a result, had zero receiving yards and a fumble cost him some points too. And he landed uh, with a half of a PPR point at the end of the day. Not what you like to see from your running backs or really any player in fantasy football.
3: Nah, man, if you're Wilson, you've got to put up more than this. It, It, in the Shanahan backfields, you just have one performance like this, and all of a sudden you're inviting the three-head monster to come back. I mean, uh, we, we did see Tevin Coleman get uh, a few carries again, You know, four carries to Jeff Wilson, seven. TDP uh, even got on the field in this game. So Wilson better come out hot uh, in the next 49ers game, or things could get a little ugly. You know, I, I'm just absolutely lamenting, on two squads, Dave, this week, I, I managed to pick up Dion Jackson. Uh, well, I picked him up on far more than two squads. Yes. but there, there are two instances where I picked him up and left him on the bench for Jeff Wilson. And uh, you know because you don't know what you don't know what you're gonna get um, with, with Jackson and, and Wilson has shown that he can put up um, some solid numbers and you know that really bit me. Some dishonorable mention, snoozers of the week, uh, Kareem Hunt, with just 1.2 PPR, J.K. Dobbins in, in less than a full game, of course, uh, only putting up 1.5 PPR, just absolutely brutal. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in a game that, you know, didn't live up to the billing from a point scored perspective against the Bills, also only post 3.3 PPR. I'm sure, you know, that trio of guys was started in, you know, a very high percentage of matchups and uh, had their managers crying.
1: Yeah. So Kenyon Drake, naturally, just to give a quick, <laughs> quick note here on the waiver wire, I imagine will be the hottest guy on the waiver wire this week. It is a little bit troubling here for Dobbins. Another game where we have him dealing with an injury did not look pretty effective before. So Dobbins could go down as one of those guys that uh, we had a draft or two, where we were so excited with, with, with where we got him. And, you know, it felt like that was really going to tie things together, like the rug in uh, the dude's apartment. You know, it was going to tie the team together (laughs) and it has it has failed to do it. So that uh, is unfortunate. But let's turn our attention now towards something a bit more exciting here, Curtis. And let's start talking through some dynasty updates, looking at the top players at each position trying to make sense of how things have changed since the start of the year.
3: Yeah. The easiest way to do this is just, let's just say, Hey, we're going to go super flex Rotovis triflex style. And let's just try to come up with the top three at each position. It's actually after quarterback, it's kind of hard, man. Um, And and I'll probably get some arguments on my, my top three at quarterback. So it's still interesting. Uh, It's certainly not a consensus. Um, I think you still have to go Josh Allen, you know, one overall, that's, that's the easiest, that's the easiest uh, player to put in pen. And then I've still got Patrick Mahomes at two and Jalen hurts now at three. Now Jalen hurts was at QB seven for me uh, entering the season. So already a bit higher than, than most, but I mean, he's just totally validated uh, everything that, You know, I thought of him as a player, you know, with these extra weapons around, um, you know, he's turned into everything that we have wanted Lamar Jackson to turn into. Um, So he's he's there. And then I've actually got a tear break after that. I'm curious to know if your top three is any different. Of course, other popular choices could be Justin Herbert, who's actually playing right now as we record uh, and Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray, I think would be the other three uh, challengers for that QB three status, Dave.
1: Yeah, well, I agree. Uh, Josh Allen, clearly the easiest uh, player here to slate in as, as the top at his position. Behind him, I can definitely understand having Mahomes in there. And I think for me, a large element of this at quarterback is as I look very far ahead, which passers do I see maintaining that value? So I would go Allen. I would put Mahomes in there. I love Jalen Hurts, but I don't know at this point if I'm ready to stick him ahead of Lamar Jackson or Justin Herbert. I think if you asked me to rate players right now at this moment, it's Lamar Jackson. And the reason I'm going to lean there over Hurts is at this point, I've just seen enough from Lamar to feel like um, in the next three, four five years i feel pretty decent counting on what i've seen from him uh and the team that he's on now a clear pushback could be you know if any of that athleticism goes then you could have a problem um but you know i think that probably applies to some of these other passers. of course hertz is a little bit younger uh so i think we're aligned on two of the three
3: okay so uh Lamar would be your two followed by Mahomes or Mahomes followed by Lamar?
1: I think probably Mahomes followed by Lamar, to be honest.
3: Okay. Okay. Yeah. I can, I can certainly understand it. Um, just for quick, for quick pushback. Uh, I think Hertz has gotten to a point as a passer that Jackson hasn't really shown us uh, mm-hmm. despite, you know, um, you know, multiple years additional uh, at the starting position. I mean, you know, Hertz is completing four percent more of his passes in the same number of starts. He has two hundred fifty more passing yards this year, uh, more than a yard better in yards per attempt. Um, does have fewer uh, passing touchdowns significantly? But that's all,
1: significantly, yeah,
3: yeah definitely fewer to passing touch, fewer passing touchdowns, but uh, you know, more more rushing touchdowns. And you have to think with the weapons that that he has in in AJ Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard. Those passing touchdowns are, are coming, especially when you consider that that he has more passing yards and a higher completion percentage with a a, you know, a a greater yards per attempt. So I think that that will uh, even out over the course of the season. Yep. Um, Lamar Jackson still, you know, out. You know, he's superior as a rusher, you know, to basically all other players in the NFL, let alone quarterbacks. Um, and so that will continue to be uh, his ace in the hole. And he is attacking downfield more regularly than Jalen Hurts with there you know, over 400 more, uh, passing air yards, um, attempted. So I, I definitely see it. Um, that that's interesting. Uh, and I think Lamar Jackson would be uh, my number four as well. So, you know, we're just, we're just valuing those guys at the three, four slot, a little bit different. It'll be interesting to see how the rest of my uh, top 24 or so QBs shake out for this format. I'll try to get those done this week, Dave, and maybe we can go a little bit deeper on the position yep. next week, but let's hop over to running back because it's stinking hard, man. It's so hard, man. <laughs> it is gross. It is so gross. Um, you you want to go first? You want me to go first each time?
1: Well, I think that we'll start this off by just saying at this point, I think the two players clearly in the conversation yeah. are Jonathan Taylor And Brees Hall, it's hard for me to move Jonathan Taylor out of that number one spot, even, uh, you know, knowing that there's a little bit of recency bias here as we haven't seen him. He's been banged up and you've had Hall looking really, really good. I think I still land with JT at one followed by Hall at two. Where we're going to start to struggle is what we do with three. So let' why don't we have you run through your one and two, and then we can talk about the possibilities at three and try to land somewhere.
3: Yeah, Hall is uh, number one uh, for me now. I'm going to go ahead and make the switch. I, every time I've been too slow to change the top of the running back hierarchy, mm-hmm. uh, I've then missed out in the following years, uh, Dynasty startup drafts. And you miss opportunities to make moves uh, before the rest of the community has adjusted. Uh, once, you know, once something has arrived at a consensus, you know, you're now got to give up something material to pivot player for player. So yeah, you know, you're almost going to have to play like, Hey, if Brees Hall plays for another month, the way that he played in the first month, you know, where will he be? Like it's it's that sudden that you ha- kind of have to think about this thing. So I'm going hall at one. I will still keep Jonathan Taylor too. I think that the, uh, you know, the, the injury is the injury situation is holding him back um, a little bit there. And then, I mean, I've just been kind of scratching my head. There's, there's a, a golf, I think in terms of, of age um, that, that occurs probably have to go Saquon Barkley um, with the return to glory at, running back three right now, you know, he's got a little bit of an age advantage versus uh, Christian McCaffrey and certainly versus Austin Eckler. Uh, but, you know, with the Brian Dayball offense there and the Giants looking like a, a solid team, he's going to continue to get some favorable game scripts. But, you know, they're st- they are passing to him, not quite as much as, you know, the, the elite backs in terms of target share, but, you know, 26 targets through six week he's still going to have a a good shot at posting 50 to 60 receptions to go with all, you know, his second in the NFL, uh, rushing production, um, right now. So he's the RB three for me, but he is, you know, you know, the equivalent of, you know, a dynasty first, uh, behind those other two guys will be a tier below.
1: Yeah. So as we had kind of talked about this, that's where my mind was going, uh, to Barkley. Um, But I will say this, Curtis, I think from a dynasty perspective, my outlook on the top three running backs or just the top running backs in general is probably the lowest that it's been in some time, which uh, is kind of interesting, given the fact that uh, when I was heading into the season from a redraft perspective, I was valuing some of these running backs a little bit higher than I had in years past. But I think the other thing that we got to talk about here quickly, that's Perhaps even more interesting than just naming those three names is the fact that the RB3 for Dynasty might not even be in the league right now. They probably aren't, right? So that's kind of an interesting element to all of this.
3: Yeah, there, there's some pretty exciting prospects coming out for the 2023 class, a good uh, opportunity to advance plug. The 2023, one of his uh, fantasy football rookie draft guide, uh, but you can follow... Uh, all of the, the latest and greatest uh, Debbie content by you know, Travis and the rest of our Debbie team on the site. Um, but you know familiar names like uh, Bijan Robinson are going to certainly be uh, in, you know, in the team picture for that. I'm already seeing the puff pieces on NFL team uh, websites. There was one just yesterday on one of the more popular NFL blogs talking about would the Cowboys trade up um, oh boy. To land oh, boy. oh boy. So it's already starting, man. It's already starting. And, uh, I think you're absolutely right. Um, some, some players that within the next month, um, I will be watching very closely to potentially unseat Barkley or, you know, even Taylor, uh, in their seats here. We saw the first real pop game from Travis Etienne um, this week. And, you know, he really kind of had the redshirt situation uh, as a rookie. So let's see, let's continue to monitor that situation. And then of course, you know, Kenneth Walker, he's not going to bring the same receiving elements to his game, but I think, you know, he could challenge for, you know, top five status pretty quickly here. And just even after seeing the one game, you know, knowing the pedigree that he has, knowing how Seattle uses their backs, you've already kind of have to put him in um, to that back end dynasty RB one conversation, just on the strength of, of that one game. Um, I think, which is, you know, it's a sad state of affairs uh, for the position, Dave. Uh, Let's move on to to wide receiver.
1: Yeah, let's do it. So I will let you uh, go first here. I think that wide receiver is interesting in that we have two names that are firmly in there. Then it comes down to, is there a young player that you can add into that mix? Or do you have to go with another one of these veterans who might just have another year or two of production that's so good that you have to leave them in the top three
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data
3: Yeah. It's, it's so tough, man. Um, you know, I've, I've got Justin Jefferson at one and Jamar chase at, at two uh, you know, both of them are in the top five or a top six rather uh, in production, you know, this season, they've got age on their side, you know, Justin Jefferson's the the wide receiver for, you know, the top three guys are two of them are definitely over the age cliff and Tyree kill is just, you know, less than a year behind them. But, You know, he has the advantage of a late birthday. Um, And so, you know, the March birthday keeps him uh, a little younger on the calendar. But, you know, Stephon Diggs, Cooper Cup, and Tyree Kill, kind of all three being at that elite level. But you get one extra year, presumably, uh, from Tyree Kill and playing in an offense that's not afraid to feature him. It gets pretty tough after Jefferson and Chase because you have to be willing to put a wide receiver that's age 28, or you know potentially even older if you wanted to go with Cup or Diggs, um, or you have to pass on the league winning level production from those top three guys and project someone forward, and, and that group you know could have potentially even included Hollywood Brown uh, before you know he injured his foot. You know that yep. that pairing with Kyler Murray's been magical. Jalen Waddell on the same squad as Tyreek Hill has been you know much more inconsistent. Uh, But, you know, he is a a wide receiver one by production so far this year. A.J. Brown certainly hasn't disappointed. But, I mean, we're talking about a player that's, you know, scoring six fewer fantasy points per week versus Diggs and cup. I mean, he's not producing at an elite level. He's producing like a back-end wide receiver one, and it's not a difference-making level of production. You know, Debo Samuel also in that same age range. And then, you know, CeeDee Lamb, is, you know, he's doing his thing, but without Dak, it's kind of hard, hard to know. I mean, he's still yet to ever produce like an elite wide receiver. And I'm starting to wonder if, you know, mid to to low end wide receiver production or wide receiver one production is all we're ever going to get. Michael Pittman, you know, in the right circumstances could become the next Michael Thomas level target hog, but he's going to need a better quarterback than Matt Ryan and probably, you know, a worse running back than Jonathan Taylor for that type of future to manifest itself. So it gets really difficult. You know, when I, when I think about the, the context of managing my squads, the players that I have exposure to, it's hard for me to not have Tyree kill in that wide receiver three spot, just giving him the age uh, tiebreaker over Cooper cup and Stefan Diggs, but, you know, being a similar producer um, that that's probably where I lean I wouldn't fight anyone that wants to put Cooper Cup or, or Stefan Diggs there. Um, and, you know, if I was talking with our buddy, Ryan McDowell, he'd probably say, you know what? You just got to take the risk uh, that's associated with it. And you've got to put AJB or, or Debo or CD there. Uh, we know what happens with the wide receiver ages and, and the value that you will lose. But I'm also trying to actually win uh, while I play. And I just don't know, man. I don't think that I would trade Tyreek Hill for CeeDee Lamb straight up in Dynasty. So I can't rank them that way.
1: So where I stand on this is I think today, right now, if you are playing with the remaining games this season in mind and next season in mind, Cooper Cup is probably the wide receiver three for me. But if we're doing an exercise where we're trying to look ahead a bit here, And we're thinking about if we're at the start of the 2023 season, I think at that point, I'm going to give a slight edge to Tyreek Hill as well. No surprise here. We're starting to align on a lot of these. It's almost like we talk three times a week, every week. Um, (laughs) Yeah, right. So I give a slight edge to Tyreek Hill there, because as you said, you know, he does have a little bit benefit of being a little bit younger than Diggs. Or cup. You know, Adams is still pretty interesting to me, but I don't think he's the type of player you can have in that conversation anymore. Um, CD, I just don't feel good enough about And AJ Brown is great. Debo's great, but I don't see them reaching back into like those top type of three spots. So I'd rather call out somebody that I thought had the potential to get into there. Now, Jalen Waddle, I historically have been a huge fan of, and I would love to toss his name out. But in the window that we're looking at, I think you probably have to value Tyreek Hill above Waddle. So as a result, it feels to me like we actually, after discussion, have a fairly firm uh, top three here in Jefferson, Chase, and Hill. I guess the one layer to this discussion that I want to add is that some of the other positions we've talked about this large gap within the top three. Do you think that at this point there is a significant gap between Chase and Jefferson and Hill? And let's just add Cup in there for sake of conversation as well. Yeah, there,
3: there probably is because, you know, the the difference in production that you're getting from Jefferson in particular, I mean, we're talking about, you know, you know he, he's actually right there within a point of Tyreek, and we're talking about maybe two points fewer per game, two, two to two and a half points fewer per game versus – Diggs and Cup, but you know, he's five plus years younger than those guys. Um, and should stay tied to his quarterback uh, you know, for the foreseeable future as well. Um, just like we would expect um both Cup and Diggs to be as well. So, you know, for me, uh Jefferson and Chase would would be the equivalent of, you know, a future first or at minimum, maybe a pair of future seconds above um those, you know, over the the age cliff guys. Um, but I think all three of them, you know, Diggs, Cup, Hill, you, you know, you can make really solid arguments to keep them at the top of that next tier above, you know, the, the unproven younger players uh, as we mentioned. So there will be a tier gap between those two as there has been. Um, but I think that I will be reordering after seeing what Tyreek's done over the course of a month with, you know, several different quarterbacks at this point and a player as talented as Jalen Waddle competing for those touches, which he never had any competition like that at the wide receiver position in Kansas city. It just more and more, uh, it's kind of proof uh, of Tyree kills talent. I mean, you know, he's leading the NFL in, in receiving yards through six weeks on a new team. I mean, we don't see free agents switch and perform like this very often. I'm almost wondering if we're going to get some receiving touchdown correction, uh, that occurs over the back, you know, two thirds of the season, I mean, he's second in the NFL with with 50 receptions trailing only, only Cooper Cup. He's leading the NFL with 701 receiving yards, but he has just two receiving touchdowns. I think some massive, massive weeks for Tyreek are on the way. It'll probably you know put more people on this line of thought.
1: And making it even more amazing is how in flux things have been at the quarterback position. So not yeah. only new team, right. new playbook, rotation of three different passers getting in there as well that he's trying to mesh with. So, Very impressive what he's been able to do before we close out. We will hop over to tight end where uh, (laughs) we spent some time talking about this and I'm not sure that we made much progress. All right. So obviously you got Mark Andrews, you know, by like the Pacific Ocean distance depth, however we want to phrase this, some analogy there out ahead of the rest of the pack, I would imagine. Uh, But what do we do after Mark Andrews?
3: It's just so bad, man. It's just so bad. Um, I can't argue against Kelsey still at the the tight end too, man. Um, you know, he's the tight end one in, you know, in NFL sense and fantasy sense, you know, in terms of still, you know, being the most dangerous weapon at the position. I mean, he's got 17 more PPR through six games than, than Mark Andrews, uh, you know, 41 receptions leads all tight ends 455 receiving yards tied with Andrews for most of the NFL uh, leads all tight ends. And I think all receivers with seven receiving touchdowns after his crazy four touchdown uh, performance. Um, I don't everyone, everyone else at the position is a projection, unfortunately now, including Kyle Pitts, that, you know, I just don't know what's really going on there. And it's, it's kind of hard, man. It's, Pitts isn't even locked and loaded as the three for me. Like there's a range of outcomes now where he just becomes Eric Ebron, where you know he was the athletic, can't miss guy that also got the draft capital, just tight end unicorn. And then like you just keep making excuses, keep making excuses, keep asking why the offense isn't using him, despite the lack of talent around him. And then one day you wake up and all of a sudden his value has just completely deteriorated and Pitts is certainly, I mean, perhaps no one's been more damaged by the, the events of the first month and a half of the season uh, from a dynasty value perspective than Pitts, you know, in the tight end premium formats, this is a guy being drafted, you know, solidly in the first round. And even in super flex, he was a one, two turn guy uh, in, in many places over the course of the summer. So, you know, precarious situation for him from a value standpoint, he's probably the tight end three, I don't know if that's the smartest um, play because his floor all of a sudden looks lower than a couple other, you know, players like TJ Hawkinson um, or even Dallas Goddard, you know, Pitts' floor might be lower than those guys. I think his ceiling's still higher. I, I wouldn't blame anybody that, you know, had Kyle Pitts rostered if you wanted to try to still sell high because I think his value's higher than those guys but pivot to one of them. Um, I don't necessarily think that would come back to bite you uh, in every scenario. So, uh, yeah, it's, you know, after that, you know, so basically you're right, Dave, you know, Andrew's in a chasm. It's probably Kelsey, then another chasm. And then you've got to talk yourself through. Am I going high ceiling with potentially really basement level floor? Or am I going going to play it down the middle a little bit, you know, with some of these guys that are still, on the right side of age 28 age 30 you know at the tight end position I think Goddard Hawkinson are both fair uh to view in that vein Pat Fryermuth who's been uh, a little ouchy but uh, I think he could potentially emerge from that next group down Hayden Hurst looks really comfortable uh there in Cincinnati but he's a little older than you think Gerald Everett you know it's just a bunch of dudes uh after the top two unfortunately and kind of going back to, to where it was a few years ago when it was just Gronk and Kelsey and everybody else.
1: Yeah, man. Um, it is hard to wrap your head around this tight end three because whoever you're picking it, or whoever you're picking there, you have to figure out the reason why you're picking them. Uh, and what I mean by that is it's like you said, either you're trying to go and get that upside or... Or perhaps you just want somebody that's contributing in the moment. It's almost like it's very specific to the team who that third option is. And that's normally not something we see at the top of a position. Now, it's possible that it's still Kyle Pitts because there's an element of the market that's baked into there. But I think for me, the larger takeaway here is that... It's about understanding the the value at the position and that there's this huge drop right here. Um, maybe you're trying to avoid that altogether. I do think that if I have Pitts on my team, I am seriously considering getting rid of him uh, because it could be dead weight for a while. You know, you're still getting a decent price tag compared to what it's looking like you might get. And I just don't have a lot of confidence in the situation that he's in. We have seen bad situations sink players before. Uh, and his talent, there's not the question about it. But, uh, you know, at this point, it's looking like you at least have to wait to the end of this year for it to be able to manifest in any Real type of way, uh, so this goes back to I would rather at this point I would rather be wrong about Kyle Pitts and have him prove me wrong than just kind of have him sitting dormant on my roster. So I'm not sure that I've really helped the conversation that much, but it looks like you have a follow up.
3: Well, it's just it's an opportunity cost um, thing, right? So yep. if 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 he ends up producing, um, if he ends up producing at the level of Andrews or Kelsey, and it just takes him a while to get there. You know, he's gonna give you that you know, just that unicorn level uh, one start one at the position advantage that's so rare uh, in fantasy, but if you don't trade him while his value is still high, then not only are you still f- forcing him into your lineup because of the name recognition every week and he's hurting your performance, uh, you also you know fail to give yourself a opportunity to potentially, still trade them for, you know, first plus, um, you know, potentially you get a one and a two, There might still be some people in tight end premium that would pay a pair of twos uh, for pits and think that they're, they're getting away with robbery versus, you know, what they would have paid in August. So um, yeah, that's, that's why I agree. You know, I don't have any Kyle pits in dynasty because I wasn't willing to pay what it costs for a tight end um, you know, that high, just knowing that it takes them so long to break out typically, and, uh, so I, I just don't, I can't play this game along with everyone. So I just have to pretend I know what I would do, but, but I do know he's fallen off so far. I mean, he's not going to be anywhere near where I would have ranked him, uh, for dynasty startups, you know, year over year, you know, he, he was a, a one, two turn guy and wrote of his, wrote of his triflex startup leagues last off season. I mean, we'll, we'll be lucky if things don't turn around. I mean, we'll, we'll be lucky to see him in the you know, top 80. Uh, you know, in 2023. So, you know, it's going to be very interesting. Perhaps no more. I mean, he might be like the most important player to watch um, o- over the next month. If this thing doesn't turn around, you're going to be wishing you'd, you'd bailed. And if it does turn around, uh, all these guys that are buying low are just going to, You know, they're going to be singing for years.
1: So just one final little thing I want to follow up with here, because I think it's interesting before we close off for the night is a turnaround for Kyle Pitts at this point. What does that even look like? What defines a turnaround for him? Does getting to like 10 points? Because honestly, at this point, like 10 points a game would be a huge turnaround. Right. Like what is what what is the minimum threshold that he needs to hit for us to consider or to feel like all right like he's he's somewhat back to you know trending in that direction where we thought he might go well
3: that's that's difficult cuz it's not only about the player it's also about the team scheme and the level of quarterback play yep. uh mariota's now attempted fewer passes than Justin Fields who wasn't even showing up in your screening tools
1: (laughs) um,
3: a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, Pitts does have an 18.9% target share, which is, you know, middling tight end one, you know, level. And he's kind of right in there with guys like Njoku and Hawkinson, but you know, he's a, you know, significant uh, portion behind Tyler Higbee, Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews who are all, you know, 23% target share and, and above but, you know, with with Pitts, you have, you know, a non elite target share level of a league worse passing pie. Um, and then he's just he's just not catching the ball. He has a 52 percent catch percentage, man. And so, you know, we could maybe dive deeper into that uh, later this week in the passing game matchup radar. Once we have all the latest and greatest, you know, passing game analytics ready for this week to maybe understand what's going on there a little bit more. But. You know, catch percentage isn't only ever just on the quarterback. You know, that can be an offensive coordinator stat. It can certainly be, you know, an individual player stat too. And it's just so far behind the guys who are the elite producers. I mean, Kelsey's catching 79% of his targets. Dallas Goddard, 77% of his targets. David Njoku, 77% of his targets. Um, and then even that, that next level down, I mean, Mark Andrews, of course, being used a lot more down the field than, than most players at the position. He's still catching 68% of his passes. 52 is just, it's horrid. So, you know, that's the one I'd like to see Pitts himself improve. He doesn't have control over those other things. But, you know, if he starts hauling in, you know, some of more of these targets, perhaps the team will change its, you know, play calling and he can influence, you know, from the bottom up uh, rather than the team arriving at a different top-down strategy.
1: All right, so... He is definitely a player that everyone (laughs) will be keeping Uh, a close eye on. Of course, the problem is, you know, if you're somebody that's uh, not in that Atlanta market, you might not even be able to watch him that much because, uh, you know, you're not going to see him on Red Zone very often. You know, you're not going to get him on the broadcasts uh, wherever you are because it has just been ugly uh, for those reasons that you mentioned. Anyway, we will be back tomorrow to lift our spirits again talking about some players that, uh, you know, could crush as we head into week seven. So we will be, uh,
3: let's get some, let's get some questions coming into early week. Start sits. I think Dave with the new machine, I'm ready to get back out in those live stream waters. So (laughs) let's get some people. Uh, you can send your questions into at C Patrick NFL on Twitter or at Dave Cabin FF on, on Twitter. Uh, or you can also, uh, what's the email for the pod again, Dave,
1: so we have a pod specific email, which is, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, well, no, no, no. I, let me explain why uh, this is tough for me. Because there, we have there like
3: nine accounts. That
1: we have like at nine different Rotovis accounts that have to get used yeah. for different stuff. Uh, this one, our specific one is rotovizffshow at gmail.com. Again, that is rotovizffshow at gmail.com. Yeah. All right. We will see you folks tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Roto-Viz Fantasy Football Show. Send us questions at rvffshow at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at davecabinff and at nfl. Leave us a voicemail at 978-615-9214. And make sure to rate, review, and subscribe.